Welcome to r slash pro revenge where an entitled Brad gets stranded hundreds of miles from home. Some years ago, I got a gig working a weekend music festival. Fairly simple too. 10 bands per day and all pretty standard rock and roll fare. Boss man puts four of us out on the gig. Me, Dreadful Boris, Big Chris, and Hammer. He also said we'd be taking out an apprentice, a young lad who was the son of a local promoter. Well, always nice to have an extra pair of hands, and it's good to help train the next generation. After all, that's how we learned in the past. As it turned out, this lad was about as much use as an aqualung to a trout, and had an entitled attitude the size of a mid-ranged African country. On the journey down in the truck, he was boasting as to how he was a really good sound engineer already, and that he could probably show us a few tricks. Oh, really? We get to the venue and get busy unloading the truck. We've got a 16-tonner stuffed to the gills with two sound desks and about 16 kilowatts of sound gear for front of house and about 6 kilowatts of monitors. As you might imagine, this is pretty heavy stuff and it takes all of us to safely unload it and get it stacked up in place. Except that, after unloading the first amp rack, all on wheels but still around 80 kilos, the entitled brat snottily announces that I'm a sound engineer, not a humper, and promptly strolls off. Uh, okay? Well, we don't really need him gumming up the works. We're all well used to slinging boxes around, so about an hour later, we've got the rig stacked and strapped down, run out the multicore to the FOH desk, and are ready to start cabling up and tying power onto the on-site generator. Out of nowhere, the spotty oik emerges from whatever hole he'd buried himself in and asks what he can do. I say, I'm going to plug up front of house. Perhaps you could help hammer cable up the speakers. I don't take orders from girlies. Quick side note here, Hammer was 5'9", drop-dead gorgeous, and as hard as nails, hence her nickname. She was also a fine front-of-house engineer and a bloody good mate. Boris, Chris, and I collectively groaned inwardly and winced in anticipation of a full 16-foot broadside from Hammer. Seriously, folks, you do not mess with her unless you want the family jewels dangling from the nearest tree. Instead, she smiles sweetly, never a good sign, and says, Well, I'm sure you'll learn something useful. I then go off to play with the front of house cables while Boris and Chris busy themselves with the monitors. A while later, I'm back on stage. Spotty Oik has wandered off again. Hammer has this resigned look on her face. What happened, I ask? Turns out that despite cables and connector ports being well-labeled, the Oik had managed to make a complete pig's ear of plugging up the amp racks. Trust me, it's very hard to make this kind of mistake. I found the oik some moments later and told him that this was not a proper way of doing things and that if he wasn't sure what to do, that he should always ask one of us beforehand. What then came out of his mouth absolutely floored me. I don't need to know all that stuff. I'm a sound engineer. Hammer, who was standing a few feet away, snorted derisively and rolled her eyes heavenward. It took me a few seconds to process this particular nugget of stupid. Well, you have to know how all this works. It's part and parcel of the job, and as you're here to learn, I suggest you pay attention. Well, you're just a bunch of roadies. What do you know? Upon delivering this charming bon mot, he ambles off again, leaving me to retrieve my jaw from the deck and hammer barely able to restrain a fit of laughter that would have incapacitated a rhino. At a guess, this idiot thought he was going to be white-gloving front of house for the whole gig. An hour or so later, we're all set up, and we now have a fair idea of the acts that are going to be performing. 
in situations like this, you rarely get the opportunity of a full-blown sound check, so you have to rely on experience to set the desk up from cold. Luckily, we got the first act on stage a half hour before the kickoff, so I could quickly get a rough sense of the overall setup. A bit of exposition. It's convenient to reuse channels across acts. So I generally keep the first 20 or so channels for drums, bass, and guitars, and the last half dozen or so channels for vocals. If a band comes in with anything else, percussion, brass, Tibetan nose flutes, etc., we whack them on channels in the middle. Keep things nice, simple, and consistent across the board, and becomes important in a moment. The working procedure in show is also simple. Dreadful Boris and Big Chris run the monitor desk, and Hammer and I run front of house. We'll do two acts each before handing over to the other. Saves wear and tear on the ears. And when we're not running the desk, we'll handle setting up the stage for each act and troubleshooting where necessary, as well as doing runs for food and coffee in between. We also tasked the spotty oik with helping with the stage setups, which rapidly proved problematic. We finished the first act and aimed to do the turnover within 15 minutes. Generally, the incoming act will tell us their mic requirements and we'll write up a mic plot, which then gets sent up to the front of house desk. Up comes Spotty Oik with the mic plot, and he goes back to help with the stage setup. As I'm checking each mic, I notice that I can't hear the vocal channels. No sooner had I spotted this than Dreadful Boris comes on the intercom and asks me if I can hear the vocal channels. I can't hear them either. He then goes off to check the stage box where all the mics are plugged into. From all the way out front, I hear him shout, F me! Seconds later, he's back on the cans. Do you know what that effing idiot has done? Only repatched all the vocal channels so that all the plugs on the stage box are lined up neatly one after the other. His words. Ye gods. Boris rapidly repatches the mics and we're good to go again. A few hours later and I'm starting my second shift out front. I won't bore you with my experience of dealing with this moron on the stage shift which, shall we say, was interesting. Currently on stage is a rather nice jazz septet. Up strolls he who shall not be mentioned and asks, When can I have a go at mixing? I'm really good, you know. Seeing as he's here to learn, I tell him he can take the next act under my supervision. This happened to be an acoustic duo, two guitars and two vocals. Even the most beginner engineer should be able to handle something so simple, right? Wrong. I've already set what I regarded as a sensible baseline on the faders for him to work with. First thing he does, he reaches for the master faders and cranks in another 15 decibels. No! Immediately, the rig teeters on the edge of feedback and I rapidly pull the mains back. Look and listen. Balance out the two vocals, then the guitars. Leave the mains alone. He then starts making wildly inappropriate changes to the channel's EQ. Again, the rig starts to squeak. Okay, enough. I shove him out of the way and bring it back under control. I won't fatigue you further with the endless catalog of foul-ups and attitude that he managed to affect over the rest of the weekend. Suffice it to say that despite the best efforts of myself and Hammer to try and teach this guy, they all went to naught. Couple this with the constant drip, drip, drip of snide commentary about he was a really a better engineer than the rest of us, and by the end of the weekend, we're all pretty pissed off. Come the end of the event, and it's now the fun part of striking the rig and loading out. I'm being sarcastic about the fun part, by the way. Two solid days, and we're all knackered, and the last thing we want to be doing is the get out, but of course, it has to be done. It's always an all-hands-on-deck situation, except the spotty oik has, once again, vanished into the woodwork. Two back-breaking hours later, and we're all done, and the truck's loaded to go home. So, where's the spotty oik? Nowhere. We give it a good 15 minutes, but no joy. 
We then decide to go look for him, so we spent another 20 minutes trolling around the site trying to find him. Again, he's done a disappearing act. We get back to the truck. It's now close to 3am and almost simultaneously we say, F him. We climb back aboard and drive the 250 miles back to the warehouse to unload. Next afternoon, Bossman calls me to find out why we left the spotty oik behind. I gave him the cliff notes and then I was told that the oik had to call his dad at 3 in the morning to come and get him. A 500 mile round trip. He then said, I never liked that promoter anyway. He was always late paying the bill on previous gigs. Next time he calls winning a rigging crew, I think I'll tell him to F off. Our next Reddit post is from Hurya889. I work a heavy labor job with a 95% male population. My workplace has a zero tolerance sexual harassment policy. But when push comes to shove, apparently that's not true. The men at my work are ruthless. I've heard so many sexual comments from people I've never spoken to before. I've lost count. Imagine the most vulgar statement you can think of. I've heard worse, but I let it slide. It doesn't bother me. However, I've been stalked by this guy, James. He parked beside my car every day so he could walk into work with me and leave work with me. He would follow me after work to figure out what my routine was. Whatever, I ignored it. Probably should have kept it documented though. I'm a very outgoing person at work and know just about everyone. A few of my friends said James was telling them I sent him naked photos. His friend Muhammad chimed in that he'd seen them and that it's 100% true. Well, that was the last straw and I reported him to human resources. Nothing came of it other than a slap on the wrist. The manager told me to wear baggier clothing and have thicker skin. However, a lot of the other females at work told me they're having the same problem with these two men and work is doing nothing about it. Well, now James and Muhammad have a god complex and have been showing naked photos to anyone they can saying it's me. Which I've explained to many people who have come up to me that it's not me because I'm covered in tattoos. So unless that girl has all the same tattoos, it's not me. I also don't take naked photos. They go out of their way to bully me for snitching on them like little kids. Well, after a few months of this, and knowing other girls are in the same boat, I had enough. I could report them again, but I doubt anything will come of it. So, I had an idea. A few nights ago, I was driving home and they sped past me at the speed of light, honking their horns, high-beaming me, etc. So, I went home and gave an anonymous tip to the police because this happens five days a week. The police caught them the next day. Fined for stunt driving, license suspended, cars impounded for seven days, and need to go to court. Work is a long commute from our town. They have no way of getting to work, and after seven call-ins, you're fired. Now, they can reflect at home with no job, no license, and increased insurance about how karma's a bitch. Our next Reddit post is from Peculiar Liar. This happened a good long while ago. I was in high school and got a job at one of the big box stores in the computer department. This store chain had an in-house technician department, which was always where I wanted to go. After busting my butt in sales for two years, putting up with rude customers, silly rules, and all the other glorious trappings of retail work, I finally got a chance to be promoted to the technician department. It wasn't as glamorous as I thought it would be. I quickly found out that most of the repairs consisted of running the pre-packaged antivirus suite, updating windows, and doing data backups prior to wiping computers clean and reinstalling them. I always liked tinkering with hardware more, but since 80% of customers had laptops and those repairs were deemed too complicated by corporate, we would just send the laptops out to get repaired by the third-party vendor. 
It was still better than sales by a long shot. And we had a great team working in the technician area. Except for one dude. Let's call him Mike. He always behaved like his poo smelled like roses. He was technically a lead technician, and even though that just meant he had a little more authority, he had access to a corporate account to arrange shipments of computers to and from our store. He was acting like he was the manager of the department. Nevertheless, our actual manager was a splendid dude that took care of us, and as such, Mike's douchery didn't bother any of us that much. Fast forward a little, and our awesome manager found a much better job. This opened up a spot for manager, and since the whole store supervision was going through a shakeup, the general manager was fired for embezzlement and all the people he hired. 90% of managers were under review. This led to everybody trying their hardest not to F up, and the new general manager decided that since our department was one of the best in the district, he would not try to hire an outsider, but promote from within. Now, Mike was working at this store for almost 10 years at that point, and a couple of people that started working with him as sales associates were, by this point, managers and assistant managers. One of them, Brittany, was an assistant manager in charge of customer services and checkout. One of the conditions for Mike's official promotion to manager was to keep the number one spot in the district performance-wise. One of the key metrics was the rejection rate from our third-party vendor. If we mistakenly sent them a software problem to fix, they would charge us extra. Mike started obsessing about the numbers, especially when it came to the rejection rate. He insisted that we would spend extra time to confirm issues, even when there were recalls from manufacturers for these items. I hated this bureaucracy, since it meant that people needed to wait almost the maximum allowed time to get their computers back. So, a few times, I skipped the extra diagnostics when I knew for sure the problem was hardware. One day, Mike decided to do an audit on all outgoing machines and found that I'd sent four units skipping his extra checks. He told me that he'd write me up for it, but when he tried, the general manager told him that he's not a manager yet. And I've shown to the general manager that I followed the corporate procedure in diagnosing these units. I thought that was the end of it, but I was sorely mistaken. Mike hated that I showed the general manager that Mike's procedure was inefficient and that he was denied power over me. About a month later, I got a call from Mike asking if I could come to the store on my day off because there was an issue with the customer. When I came in, I was greeted by Mike with a poo-eating grin and he told me to wait in the back and not to work on any computers. After about an hour, Mike and Brittany come in and ask me to head to the front office. They started an official write-up process and claimed that I made a mistake creating a backup of customer data and placed a DVD with no data on it into the box that was returned to the customer and then wiped his PC clean. I knew that was BS since I always copied the data to an external hard drive, run antivirus to make sure that nothing bad got copied, and then burn DVDs. Yet, when I asked to check the external hard drive, Mike said that due to my negligence, I was not allowed back into the tech area. He went to check the hard drive and said there was nothing on it. At that point, I knew he was BSing. But him and Brittany were hell-bent on completing the write-up. I asked for senior management to be present and was shot down again. Turns out, the general manager was on vacation. They completed the write-up and told me that due to the egregious error that cost the company tens of thousands of dollars, I wasn't allowed to work in the tech room and I would be relegated back to the sales floor. I told them to shove in and submitted my resignation on the spot. I found out later that week they gave the customer the data that was on the hard drive all this time. Mike simply erased the DVDs. I grabbed a DVD RW by mistake for the backup and waited for the customer to come back and complain. 
I also called the corporate HR line and told them what happened. They said that since I quit with a letter of resignation, they wouldn't launch an investigation, but they received and recorded my complaint. Through luck and the fact that I was a good hardware tech, I landed a job at a shop that did hardware repairs a week later and started another week. Turns out, this depot was a service center that covered the entire district, and they had the master contract with the big box chain where I worked. Since I worked as a tech in that store, I was more than familiar with their labeling and ticketing system. For tracking purposes, the label included the store and technician number. After a couple of weeks, I gathered some goodwill at my new job and started trading the units with my colleagues to work on as many units from my old store as possible. Over the next three months, I made sure that every single unit sent in by Mike would come back with an extra charge. Also, it turned out that Mike, since he was in charge of shipping, would sometimes steal other technicians' tickets to boost his personal performance numbers to secure that management promotion. Well, this bit him in the butt hard. There was one week in particular when he sent in over 15 units out of 20 to get fixed, and 15 units came back with extra software charge. I also kept detailed records that proved that Mike didn't follow his own policy of extra checks. When the performance figures came out for that quarter, the store crashed into fifth place from number one. Mike missed out on his promotion and a big bonus that was promised to him. A good buddy of mine from the store got the manager position a few months after that and I've explained to him how to reduce the number of software charges to almost zero. So he looked like a superstar. Mike was first relocated to lead technician, then he was either let go or he quit. I'm not sure. Last I heard, he started his own mobile technician business that folded after a year. What I didn't know is that this whole incident with Mike effing up led to the GM reviewing everything Mike did, including my write-up and dismissal. As it turns out, they didn't even register the write-up since I quit on the spot and buried it. The only way the GM was able to find it was because of the HR complaint that was filed against both Mike and Brittany. The general manager was not pleased that they went behind his back to get rid of someone and fired Brittany. He was a very decent man who called me later that day and apologized and even offered me my old job back. I thanked him, but I was making more money at the new place and didn't have to deal with customers, so I passed. That was r slash pro revenge, and if you like this video, then let me know by hitting that like button because it really helps my channel grow.